right, it's good to be with you. As they're finishing up the offering here, I always want to remind you, if this is the first time you've ever been here with me, um, we do a class here at The Rock on Thursday nights in the chapel at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And I saw up here, I don't know if you're going to be doing the Kingdom Family, but they had a day of prayer and uh, worship. And that's what the school we're covering right now is how to become a prayer warrior. And so we just kind of cover the basics of prayer. I don't know if you guys are like I am. Prayer is amazing because it has two dimensions to it. It's how you develop a relationship with God, but it's also how you learn your authority to advance God's goodness into your life. And so in every struggle that you and I go through, we have to discover God's rule in that place through prayer. And this is kind of what we're trying to help people discover is not just how to pray, but how God has what we call rhythms in prayer. There are rhythms in prayer. There's times where God is drawing you near, and there are times where he is sending you out to advance his goodness in people's lives. And prayer is very transformative. Um, If you guys have had any background or training or even looked at the scripture, the Bible says that this is the most potent thing that you and I have been given in God's kingdom, is the ability to talk to the Lord and have the Lord intervene on our behalf and show us his kingdom. So if you're interested in that, you'd like to learn the basics, we will be over in the chapel tomorrow. The chapel's just kind of over there by the offices at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Please come and join us. A lot of people say, well, we haven't been at your first ones. Each one of the classes stand on their own. You will learn something, and we'll also have you have a time of praying, praying for yourself and your family and things that you need breakthrough for. So please come and join us. Would you grab your Bibles and go with me now to Matthew chapter 7? verse 21 through 23. And as you're going there, I am going to catch you up into the passage of, uh, we're going to be covering obedience tonight, a certain way that Jesus talked about it. But I want to kind of give you the audience that he's talking to, and biblically, prophetically, and historically, what is going on when Jesus is talking here in Matthew chapter 7. First thing we need to realize is um, when we come to these passages in the New Testament, a lot of us are looking at it, well, here's Jesus and he's the Messiah, but there's more going on to Jesus being in human history and what he's doing and how you have to actually begin to look at it from the way the Bible is trying to communicate to you. So the scripture reference we're going to be in is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. But to get us there, we need to understand why Jesus is saying what he's going to say here to us in this passage. So I'm going to back up into Israel's history, and I'm going to go all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Now, you can look at it if you want to. I'm just going to make reference to it. Moses goes up to a mountain. God commands the nation of Israel, over 4 million people, to stand before this mountain. He comes upon this mountain, literally, with trumpet blasts, with lightning, and with clouds, and he speaks audibly to the whole nation of Israel. So, uh, I always do this as a Bible trivia thing. I always ask people in little groups, how many people in the Bible do you think have heard the audible voice of the Lord? And I usually get 12. Well, we know through biblical history we've had at least 4 or 5 million people hear the audible voice of the Lord. That's just what the Scripture tells us. When these people heard the audible voice of the Lord, they told Moses, we don't ever want to hear that again. And interesting enough, the Lord didn't say that was an evil statement. He said what they said was wise. Then we get down to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, and he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. And he's prophesying now to the nation of Israel about a certain prophet. And he says, there is going to be a prophet like me that is going to come among you. He didn't say there's going to be prophets. He says there's going to be a prophet like me who is going to come, and God is going to put his words in his mouth. And so Moses is now saying, the type of prophetic ministry that I have, this one prophet is going to have the same thing. So you have to now ask a question. What was unique about Moses' prophetic ministry compared to Elijah, Samuel, Ezekiel, Malachi, all the Old Testament prophets? What was unique about Moses that none of those other prophets were able to do? It wasn't the ability to prophesy or hear the voice of the Lord. It's how God saw them and what they did to represent God in their time in history that was unique. And there's only two prophets that have done that, Moses and Jesus. Now, what did Moses do? Moses comes and he actually pulls the children of Israel out of the wilderness. 
They wander, and what they become is a nation. And part of Moses' job is not to just be a prophet and say, here's the voice of the Lord. He actually also comes, like George Washington, and he establishes a nation, lays down how they're to live as a nation, all the ceremonial laws, all the laws of how to actually eat without getting sick, how to be a healthy community, what to do with diseases, the whole idea of quarantine comes out of the Old Testament. I mean, all this stuff on how to set up a nation and function as a nation. Moses does that. Also, Moses actually has this audience with the Lord where he actually sees the face of the Lord, and when he speaks God's word, People are held accountable from that time on until this other prophet shows up in human history. If you, you, you'll be weighed on the words of Moses when you stand before the Lord and this other prophet. Now, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. He is the prophet like Moses. Now, his word, from this point on, when that prophet shows up, his word, is what mankind is going to be held accountable to, not Moses' word. Isn't that interesting? Now, why is that? Why is the Son of God's word at this time in human history going to be what man is going to be held accountable to? Because when Jesus comes on the scene, he is paying for our sins, but he is instituting something different, a diff, what we'd call an upgrade in the economy or how God is going to relate to man, what he is going to do with man. Think about this. In the Old Testament, men had the Holy Spirit with them. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. The Bible describes them still fallen. In the New Testament, they say they're a new creation. So mankind becomes something different in Christ. And so the words of Jesus apply to what is going on to people that relate to Jesus now. The words of Moses don't. Isn't that fascinating? And then in Matthew chapter 5, he is talking to people that know Moses and the words of Moses. So these aren't, when you, when sometimes when we read the scriptures, we come to it with where we are in history and we're looking at the scripture based on how we understand the world working. Let's take back to the context of the people that Jesus is speaking to. These people have spent centuries dealing with idolatry, so they're not idol worshipers. They're committed to the Lord. They now meet consistently, read the law of Moses. They, they see from the writing of Abraham that people come into covenant relationship just the way you, they do in the New Testament. They believe God, and they're justified by faith. But they've, they've twisted their relationship with God, and they've begun to work to try to get something from God. It's actually the age-old problem of the human race. And so now in Matthew chapter 5, we're getting close to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes on the mountaintop and he sits down and a crowd of people come around him and he begins to teach him. Well, why is that so important? We just had our president do his state of the union to tell you what's going on in this country. When Jesus is sitting on that mountain, the king of all kings is going to tell you what is called the constitution of his kingdom. So this is how... If you and I lived in a monarchy where we had a king, when a king stands up and says, this is how the citizens of this kingdom are going to live, or there's going to be consequences to their disobedience to that, that's what Jesus is doing on, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He's laying down what we would call the constitution of the kingdom of God. If you're going to say you follow Jesus, the things that Jesus covers in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is how you're going to live in regard to a relationship with Jesus. Now, I always have people ask me this, and I think it's actually a valid question. What do I do with the law after I get saved? Well, I think it'd be a good idea to obey it. But let me kind of work through something here. And this is, this is the problem that people go through when it comes to understanding the relationship that we have with God in the New Testament through Jesus compared to the relationship that people had with God through the Old Testament. First and foremost, they had gotten to the point as a nation of Israel that God was considered far away. You couldn't even describe his name. And so here Jesus comes on the scene and says, well, from this point on, God doesn't want to be related to you as a faraway deity that you cannot know. He wants to be known to you as a father. So he institutes, first and foremost, 
that the highest form of the kingdom of God is to know God and to know him as a father. This is the standard that Jesus presents on the scene. So he's actually saying in God's economy from this point on, everything that he is commanding or telling you to do based in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, how you're to live is going to be based on how you know that person. And in regard to that person, you will live this way. If you don't know that person, you can't live the way he's prescribed for you. Now, Let's go now toward the passage that we're actually looking at. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Now, how many of you have read this passage? I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to ask the question. But let's read the passage, and I'll ask you this question. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who, uh, sorry, the will of my Father who is in, in, I'm sorry, why am I messing this up? The will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, how many of you um, believe what he's saying here is there's there's types of Christians that Jesus is evaluating here? So, here we have the idea, if I don't perfect, now think about this, this is the standard of the Old Testament. If I don't perfectly obey the law, Jesus is going to look at me and say, I don't care how many miracles you did, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. How many of you think that's what the translation is trying to say? No one. Wow, you guys are farther along. Most people come up to me and ask me, I never, I never do what I feel is the will of God. Am I ever going to make it to heaven? Then there's another group. I, I'm always trying to figure out why they translate this passage. The group that doesn't believe that God is doing signs and wonders, they point to this passage and interpret it incorrectly and say, well, if you're doing miracles in the name of Jesus and you're prophesying, that must not be the will of God because Jesus says you're not going to enter into heaven. If you do that, and then you stand that day and say, look at all the miracles I did in your That's not what the passage means either. Okay, so what is the passage getting at? So we have to look at it. Let's kind of work through it, all right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I'm sure you guys are excited, but the word everyone here is interesting because in the original language, it's not the idea uh, everyone's going to be saying to him, Lord, Lord. He's actually, this word everyone means coming. So it actually means that everyone is going to stand before the Lord. This is the Greek word. It means everyone is going to stand before the Lord, and there's going to be some people that stand before the Lord and they're going to try to present a case to him why they should make it into heaven. So not everyone, everyone is going to stand before the Lord, but this is a word that means everyone comes to a final place where they present a case. And there's going to be a group of people that are going to try to present a case to the Lord that they should make it into his kingdom, and this is the argument that they're going to use. So what is the argument? And by the way, I'm sure you guys realize this, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Some translation have it, has it as heavens. It's actually the word heaven. It's very important because this is the word they use for standing in the face of God. So everyone is going to stand before the face of God, and this is some of the things that people are going to say to him. Okay. Now he says, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Let's take that term, will of my Father. Okay, so what is the will of God? Most people would point and say the Ten Commandments. Now, the word will here is really interesting. Uh, I think it actually gives, the, it sheds light on the whole entire passage. It shows us why Jesus just went through Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and now he's ending up here. Now, right before this, he started talking about in Matthew chapter 7, just so we understand the context, the distinction between true and false prophets and how to weigh their fruit. And then he's bringing all of it. So he's saying, now look, here's how you pray. You're not to judge people. Here's how I want you to fast. Here's how I want you to conduct yourself. And he's going through all these values of the kingdom of God. Then he says, now beware of false prophets. And then he comes to the, and it's like he's summarizing it and bringing it to the end. And he's going to say, but who are the people that actually make it to heaven? Most of you would probably say, well, isn't it the people that fast the way that Jesus said, and the people that don't judge like Jesus said, and people that uh, pray the way that Jesus said, and, and some of this other stuff. Is that what he's after? 
And so when we come to this term, will of the Father, this helps us interpret the whole entire passage and makes us understand what's being said here. So the term, will of the Father. By the way, the word will here is interesting. It actually means the desire of the Father. So it could actually be translated that. And that's the simplest way of translating it. But it means you get to the idea of the will of the Father. So what is God's will through Christ for you to make it to heaven? That's what he's working through. Now remember, how does man always look at their relationship with God? What can I do to impress the Lord so he'll receive me? What Jesus is actually saying, now here are all the values of the kingdom, but so that you don't get this confused, I don't ever want you to place these values in as this is why you're accepted in heaven. I want to get to the bottom part of it, drive it home so that this never gets shaken in your experience with God, because if you evaluate your life in God by how well you do the things Jesus has commanded you to do, you will always live under shame and condemnation. And yet, Jesus has commanded you to be obedient to these things. So how do you become a person full of joy and being obedient instead of full of fear and trying to be obedient? Because you realize that's that's how people look at the kingdom. Some people are fear-based in their Christian walk, and some people are joy-based. And by the way, if you guys recognize this, a lot of people, I get to travel around the body of Christ a lot, and a lot of people are fear-based in their relationship with God. And I mean they have the wrong kind of fear. They're afraid that they can't ever do enough to get the Lord to accept them or be pleased with them. If this doesn't get resolved, and that's why Jesus is dealing with it now, if this does not get resolved, you will spend the rest of your walk with Jesus always afraid of him the wrong way. Okay, so what is he dealing with here? So... We could translate, let's, let's say it the way it could be also translated. But he who does the desire of my Father will enter into heaven. What is the desire of the Father? Well, it's going to tell us in the passage. But let's, let's let Jesus actually drive it home. So the term desire actually means God pers- God's preferred will or God's best offer. So what is being said here is Jesus says, now, this is God's preferred will for you. This is the best offer he can actually give you. So what is the, off, uh, the offer that he is trying to establish here? Okay, so ready? So he's now going to give you the argument that mankind is going to use to present to God why they should make it to heaven. Now, by the way, just so we understand this, this is not people just saying, Lord, like they have some vague concept of God. This, he's talking to Jewish people that understand what this term means. So, the people of God at that time in human history, he's using language that they all understand. He's not talking about false religion, saying they know the Lord or we worship God. That's, that's none of the conversation here. He's talking with people that say they actually know who Yahweh is, and this is their statement. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, here's where the passage makes sense. Did we not prophesy in your name? That's the focal point from this point on. We used your name. Did we not use your name or prophesy in your name? And then it says this, and in your name cast out demons. And in your name do many mighty miracles. That's the focal point of each passage. So just keep remembering. They're going to stand before the Lord. There's going to be a group of people that believe they should actually be in heaven. And the reason is, is because of his name. Didn't we use your name to prophesy? Didn't we use your name to drive out demons? Didn't we use your name? And do you guys see what's happening here? They're beginning to point to mighty works and saying, because I used your name and because it worked, I should be allowed to be in your kingdom. He's saying they actually believe their, their, their entrance into heaven is based on the authority of what Jesus' name could do, not the relationship with Jesus. By the way, do you guys realize, historically, in the Old Testament, people were driving out demons before Jesus showed up on the scene, and they were using the name of the Lord. His name is powerful. Just because you can learn to use his name doesn't mean you're in relationship with the person's name you're using. 
You guys, in the book of Acts, you guys remember the, the one that everyone always enjoys uh, the story of, of a Jewish exorcist that, ex, uh, exorcist that actually goes out and drives out a demon using the name of Jesus? Well, that's kind of the idea that's being used here. Just because his name has power in it doesn't mean you know the person that you're using his name. And that's what he's trying to drive home here. Isn't it amazing? This is the dynamic of the kingdom of God. I watch, the, if you guys ever do this, it's a lot of fun. Going and praying for people on, in the street, the healing ministry of Jesus. And you can actually show a person who's not actually in relationship to Christ how to use the authority of Christ, and they can see miracles happen. I literally did this right before I came here. Someone was asking me, now, how do you pray for someone? I said, now, say this, and say this, and then use the name of Jesus. And they didn't know what they were doing, and they prayed for a person, and the person's foot got healed because his name's powerful. You guys realize that, right? Okay, now you guys ready? Just because his name's powerful doesn't mean I'm in the right relationship with him to actually walk in relationship and go to heaven. Just because his name's powerful. And by the way, a lot of people believe that if they just name his name, that's their entrance. Um, Have you guys ever heard this term? They actually pick it up later on in James. It's the term of, um, it's called a confessor. So there were actually people that joined the body of Christ, and they learned the language and the lingo of that group, and then they became confessors of Christ, which means they said the right thing that you needed to hear. Yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But their lifestyle showed that they had no fruit of relationship with him. Aren't you guys glad that Jesus actually begins to point to the fact that if someone actually knows him, Obedience becomes a lifestyle because of his love that transforms your heart to want to do those things that he's called you to. Everything we see in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, you cannot do it unless Jesus has changed you from the inside to change your motivation to want to do those things. If you try to do them religiously, you're going to get disgusted with it, you're going to come under condemnation, and you're going to always live in a place of, I don't even know if I know Jesus. Do you guys get it? Obedience comes out of knowing him, not the other way around. I don't get to know him by being obedient. Actually, that's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because I do know things about him when I'm obedient. But it starts with knowing him. So he says this, verse 23. And then I will declare to them. Now this is, do you understand why these these terms are being used? They're, They're statements of what judges say when they're making a final assessment of something. So, when he says, and I will declare them, I never knew you, he's actually saying, so this, is, this scene is going to happen. Could you guys imagine? At some time in time, we are all going to be in some vast audience with a group of people, and each one of us get to just individually stand before the Lord and give an account. Aren't you guys looking forward to that? I mean, I think about that constantly. I think, oh, my gosh, I can't hide among my friends or say, well, they said this or this is what my generation was doing. I mean, you just can't do any of that. All of you get to just stand before Jesus. Doesn't that sound like a blast? Okay, so, well, that kind of scares me, Brian. Well, it shouldn't, and here's why, okay? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. All right. I think the rest of this will make sense as we go through that. I declare to you, so this is a final statement that will be made to them. How do we understand this in relationship to Jesus and where we're at in human history right now? Uh, have any of you just recently had the joy of just reading through the, the, the epistle of Romans? Any of you ever had fun just doing that? How many of you were enjoyed it immensely and not yet were confused as you read it? One person, great. All right, so the one thing that the book of Romans is trying to work through is how does um, salvation or this entrance into heaven works? It comes as a gift. When God does it, he pronounces no condemnation over you and that you're justified before him. And this is all courtroom statements that the final judgment that you and I face, you face it when you meet Jesus. It's all done. Now, here, says, I declare them, I never knew you. We have to break this down. This is where it will finally make sense. This term, I never knew you, gnoso. 
This is the Greek word for knowledge. Now, there are three forms of knowledge. I don't want to bore you to tears. I want to make sure you understand it. Three forms of knowledge in the New Testament. I'm sorry, Old and New Testament. I'll describe what this word applies to. The first form of knowledge we have in the Bible is what we would call God revealing himself, making statements of truth or propositions to us. This is where God shows us he's a trinity. He shows us the way of salvation. He makes things known to us that we could not know by observing his creation. The second form of knowledge is called called skilled knowledge. This is where the Bible teaches you principles. If you put this principle and this principle and this principle together and you walk those out, you'll get this results every time you do it. Um, what, What can I point to? Oh, let's just take money for an example. The Bible tells you how to manage money. If you manage money the way he tells you, you always get the same results because it's a law. It's a skill that you can learn. God has revealed that skill to us. This word for knowledge is interesting because it's the one that's also used later on in the New Testament when it's talking about a word of knowledge. This is a word for experience. You actually have to experience something. So you don't have the, there are certain things in the Bible you do not have the knowledge, uh, the knowledge of until you experience them. This is the word that Jesus is actually using in this passage. So when he said, I never knew you, it doesn't mean he wasn't observing you on the earth. It actually means you never came into relationship with me. You and I are not in covenant. No matter all the claims you make about miracles, all the claims about your religious service, you and I are not in a covenant relationship with each other. That's why they have to depart. It's the, we know this through the rest of the Bible. If you don't have a relationship with him, he's the only one that provides atonement so that you can stand before a holy God. Jesus is the only one that can do that. He's the only door that gets you into heaven. He's the only way. And so he's saying to you, now isn't this interesting? He didn't say, if you confess me, you get in. He says, you actually have to know me. So think about that. He just went through all the things that are required of the kingdom, and everyone probably is looking at that and going, well, if I could do that faithfully at least 80% of the time, I make it into heaven. And Jesus is just cutting through all that, and he's saying, all right, let's really get after it here. To the people that actually know God based out of the old covenant, I'm going to cut through all that and say, if you don't know me, you are not going to be with me. You have to know me. You can't play a game with me. You can't use miracles. You can't use the law. You cannot use anything to get to heaven, only me. And he says, you have to know me. This actually means you have to experience Jesus. So I like what Marcus said. We need to be encountering the glory of God. Absolutely. This is our inheritance. Jesus didn't come... So he can create a religion. He came to rescue a family. He came to call you to him. These are the people that are going to be with him. That's why you can't use miracles. You can't use the obedience. You cannot use any of it. He is the answer to this question. He says, Unless you, uh, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And a lot of people think, well, aren't you, it doesn't even say right here, he's showing that disobedient people don't make it to heaven? No. He's actually showing here in this passage, if you don't come to Christ, you are going to be left in a state of rebellion before the Lord because you're considered guilty from one sin you've ever done. And your nature is to practice rebellion towards the Lord. That's what the sin nature is. is Each one of us goes to our own ways. And so he's telling them, you who practice lawless, you have no other choice. If you do not come to Christ, you will practice lawlessness no matter how religious you are. Because it's about nature, not activity. Now you're going, Brian, this doesn't sound like a talk on obedience. Well, it actually does because we're getting to the core of what sparks obedience. What sparks obedience is not me looking at the things that God requires and says, boy, I better get active in those things, even though there's a call to do those things. What is it a call to? You guys get it? I love how Jesus is driving us to this point. The call here is you need to know him, and you really need to get in relationship with him. And if you pursue that, that's why Jesus ends up telling us in Matthew 
hey, if you seek the kingdom and all its righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He's pointing to the highest standard here, and he's saying the highest standard of obedience is going to come when you know me. Once you know me and I become who I'm supposed to be in your life, all these other things just fall into line. Well, how can I say something that aggressive? Because when you say, I know Jesus, the Bible goes throughout the whole New Testament and points this out. If you actually know Jesus, your priorities change. He has made you a new creation. If you and I are a new creation, that means that your heart went from a place of wanting to do wicked things to where you don't want to do those anymore, and all of a sudden you fall in love with him, and whatever he wants, he's Lord of your life, and you're like, you're my, excuse me, you're my focus. You're my focus. And so you guys ready? When I'm in a love relationship with my wife, all of a sudden her desires becomes my focus because I want to nurture that love. I don't do things to play, uh, uh, make Kelly happy so that she'll go, wow, you're an obedient husband. I work at a different level with her. I work at a level of her not telling everyone, well, he's great. And he, he feeds. Well, we never get along, and I hardly ever talk to him, but he, he really does a good job of taking care of the house. What kind of relationship is that? Guys, this is what God is trying to deal with. The Old Testament, they were really good about saying they followed God, but their hearts were far from him. Jesus is cutting through all that, and he's saying, all right, come on, let's really get down to this thing. If you're wanting to be where I am at, it's because you love me and I love you. And we're in a loving relationship, and we're just going to go home and be a family for eternity. In fact, if you don't want to be in that, you don't want to know him. And I mean truly know him. Do you guys ever look among the body of Christ, and this isn't a judgment, it's just reality. People that are passionate to follow Jesus, do you guys ever ask the question, I'm always asking it, what makes someone passionate? Is it because they're committed or because they've seen him for who he is? See, I think finding him, Jesus, and him revealing himself not only as your lover but your Lord changes everything inside of you. I always sit back. When it comes to my obedience, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but when I look at, am I being obedient? Do you know what I always find the Lord doing? Is if I'm always asking the Lord, what sin am I doing this week? He, it's like, it's not that hard. He can point out several things that I should probably do better. But what I never sense from the Lord is a sense of pushing me away. What I have a sense of is the Lord coming and wanting wholeness in my life. Okay, so let's... Let me wrap it up here, and let's finish the passage. What what does obedience come from? Obedience comes from the love of God that comes through Jesus, through his lordship, touching my life, and when he points something out to me and says, this is activity I don't want you to do anymore, why is he pointing to that? And why is he saying, now live this way? Because when he becomes Lord of your life and you realize you and he are enjoying and sharing love with each other, all of a sudden you don't want to offend him because you love him more than life. And all of a sudden when he says don't do that, you start discovering something about his nature. He doesn't just tell you don't do something because I know you enjoy it and I'm mean and like taking things away from people. He's saying that thing's going to destroy you and I don't want you destroyed. I want the best for you. Um, you guys ever deal with this? I mean, I feel like every time I stand up in front of you guys, I'm saying the same thing. You know, when Jesus is pointing out to me things that I think I should be able to do, I've walked with, do you guys ever have this argument with Jesus? I've walked with you for more than 20 years now, and I don't see the problem with this. Do you guys ever try to reason with the Lord that way? And then have the Lord come and say, well, actually, there's problems. And until he shows you the problem, you're... I'm amazed at the level of deception that's in my own heart. When his love shines a light in an area of my life and I see the damage it does to me and everyone around me, all of a sudden I don't want to be in the middle of that anymore. And I want to find, and this is interesting, in Psalms 23, the Lord talks about his ministry as a shepherd. And there's all these things that Jesus does for you. And then he expects you to respond to them. So he, what? Leads you by still waters, green pastures. He does, he does all these things. And then he says, and then he also restores your soul. And then it says he leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Now, as I walk with him, obedience becomes that part. He does the part of feeding me, pouring water into me, nurturing my soul, and restoring me. My job is to watch him, and when he goes a certain area of righteousness, I follow him into righteousness. Why? Because he's been feeding me. He's been taking care of me, and he's been restoring my soul. In every area that I am not being fed, nurtured, and my soul is not being restored, I've gotten stuck, and I need to look at where he's at on the path and follow him in paths of righteousness. Would you guys join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this passage. Uh, All the times, uh, it amazes me, all the times uh, throughout the years people have asked me about this passage and the condemnation that have come on people. If any of us are dealing with that, would you break the power of that right now? And would you begin to Release something over us, Lord, that um, I know you're longing to do. Would you release the joy of the Lord into our souls? And all the things that so easily entangle us, all the things that we think we have to hold on to, I ask that your joy would bring strength to break us free from that. And that you would begin to align our mind, our emotions, and our will to follow you in paths of righteousness. All the other paths that keep calling our names that lead us into problems and stress and despair, would you break the power of those things over our lives, Lord? Any hooks in us that constantly go to those things, break us free and establish our identity. And I thank you for your goodness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right. Um, Is there someone, so if you're dealing with pain, it's kind of fun how the Lord pointed out to me. You're showing me someone grabbing the right side of their their lower torso, being in pain. And I kept asking, was that a stomach problem? What is that? He just said, call this out. So if you have right pain on your side, now I saw specifically a woman. It doesn't have to be a woman. But if you have pain like a pulled muscle or something going on with your stomach and it's on the right side of you, would you stand? The Lord wants to minister to you. And I'm sorry you guys are dealing with that. Hopefully it's not embarrassing. If you could just kind of put your hand on your right side and let's just ask the Lord to minister to you. Holy Spirit, would you bring your healing power and presence right now? Uh, This inflammation I just commanded to leave, I ask that you bring your healing virtue over them right now. You would restore them. Let your goodness rest on them, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, well, here we go. I I love doing all these with you. Um, Is there a woman's name, uh, Angel, here this evening? Angel. Okay, so we'll move to the next one. So no woman named Angel here. Are you pointing at someone? Oh, so you just want me to speak it out. Okay, so Angel. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> so we'll do this. So just bear with me if, Angel, you're not here but you're listening online. I had you were a mother of two children. Your youngest was a son. Here's how the Lord pointed out to me. He's kind of hard to get along with, and you kind of feel like you're going to pull your hair out. Lord wants me to give you comfort that he actually has a leadership gift on his life, and do not be frustrated with this thing that he does. God is going to begin to minister to him and help him so that you know how to manage and do that. So, Lord, if angels hearing this, bless her with it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Or right, is there a woman here named Dawn? Is that you? Hi, Dawn. 
Uh, do you have a, uh, so I felt like the Lord was showing me, Don, your motivational gift is the gift of compassion. Does that make sense to you? Okay. I'm sorry. So I have to look all the way over there and try to look through the dark, and I have lights on me. So if you want to wave, like, yeah, that might be true. Go ahead and just wave at me. Okay, thank you. Uh, the Lord showed me, it's kind of interesting, he showed me that his power, healing power, was actually going to overshadow you. And it had something to do with you needing strength in your life that God was going to minister to you. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, good. Well, thanks, Don. So let's just pray for that. So Holy Spirit, uh, just bring your healing power and presence over Don. And this internal weakness that she's always dealing with, that she always feels like she can't break through, I break the power of that right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask that you'd release your strength over her. And the way he put it to me was this. His strength is going to overshadow you, and you will notice a difference almost immediately. So I just the same power that raised Christ from the dead, just let her touch her mortal body right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, he, he's showing me a picture right now, and I'm going to just share this with you. Because of the weakness that you've dealt with, it feels like it's become, uh, your, the diminishment of your own gifting has happened in your life. Part of this overshadowing is going to be an awakening of your destiny that the Lord is going to release over you because you have a desire to actually care for hurting people, care for the broken and women that are struggling, and the Lord is going to release a fullness of compassion for you to do that. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, good. And so, Lord, bless Dawn. Just let her walk in the good things that you have for her right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, I had a couple here. The gentleman's name is Gary, and the woman's name is Lauren. Is there a Gary or a Lauren here? Someone know a Gary and a Lauren in the, here in the room? Okay, so I'm just going to give it. Here we go again. So you've been having a lot of stress, Gary and Lauren, financially, and the Lord actually said he was going to come into that area and break this yoke of struggle in that area of your life and release his, uh, his financial wisdom and blessing over you. So, Lord, we ask that you would do it for Gary and Lauren. Strengthen them and break this yoke. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, is someone here dealing with shoulder pain or a tear in their tendon, in their shoulder? Shoulder pain or a tear? In, is it just shoulder pain? Okay. If you have shoulder pain, just stand and... Some of you wouldn't know if you had a tear, but you'd feel an impingement or a hard time raising your shoulder. If that's you, could you just raise, uh, not raise your arm, stand up. (laughs) I could do that. Yeah, raise your arm. No, I'm just kidding. So if you're able to do this, could you put your other hand on your arm that's in pain? And for the, there's not a lot of, so there's a guy, so the people in the back row, look around you, there's a gentleman right there. So just one other person, stand right next to him and just put your hand uh, on them, would you? Just for a moment. And all you have to do is come into agreement with me. So there are two people over here. Could I have just two people join them real quick? Just come into agreement with me real quick, all right? Holy Spirit, release your healing power and presence over their shoulder. I command the pain to leave. I ask Holy Spirit you grab their, their muscles and their bone and just move it back into position right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. Pull it back into giving strength to it, the the weakness in the muscles around the shoulder. I ask that you would strengthen it right now and bring wholeness to him, Lord. I break the the words that that some of them heard about their body that they will have to deal with this. They won't get over it. I break the power of that right now. I ask that you would restore them completely in the name of Jesus Christ. We bless what you're doing, Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, this was kind of interesting. The Lord was showing me that your sternum here, sometimes people have problems with their sternum locking or being in pain. So if you have pain, it's literally right here at the part of your rib cage. Anyone here dealing with pain or locking sensation that goes on right here? You, you're dealing with that also? Oh, you're just kind of lifting your hand. Okay. Checking your shoulder. Is your shoulder any better? Oh, good. Oh, good. So is anyone here dealing with any locking or pain in their... Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, anyone else? 
Please put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and release your healing power and presence? Oh, this is fun. Holy Spirit, grab her rib cage right now. Pull the bones back into alignment and strengthen her by the power of your might. In fact, the Holy Spirit's going to grab your spine. So, Holy Spirit, grab her spine right now. Literally, just kind of move it right now, Holy Spirit, back into alignment and strengthen her. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless your name, Lord. Now, open her up. Bring the muscles back into proper alignment. And we command your blessing over her right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. All right. You have a locking, <clears throat> excuse me, a locking or a pain around your knee area. Your, your knees lock or they have pain. If you have knee problems, locking or pain, stand, which is going to be fun. All right, here we go. Just put your hands out like it's um, Valentine's Day. (laughs) Holy Spirit, bring your power and your presence right now. Come over their knees. Now, this is about their whole hip area. So, Holy Spirit, go into their hip right now and pull it back into alignment. Bring strength to their muscles and go into the knee right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Come into the tendons and the muscles and pull them back into alignment. I command the inflammation and the pain to stop right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would restore them. Restore them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you can move your knee around, see how it's doing, if it's any better. And then please be seated. Uh, This is going to be fun. When the Lord told me this, I thought, well, wow, how, how do I call this one out? You have bursitis. Now, what bursitis is, is you have tendons all over your body. And when they get pulled the wrong way or something like that, they get inflamed, which means they puff up. And they cause a weakness wherever the tendon is around the um, bones. So if you have bursitis or you've ever been diagnosed with bursitis, stand, the Lord wants to minister to you. Bursitis. I guess that was for someone. Oh, sorry, you're dealing with that. Um, wherever it's on your body, is it all over or is it just a certain point? I'm sorry? Oh, okay, is it feeling any better? Is your shoulder feeling any better? Okay. Okay, so this guy right next to you, I'm going to have him lay hands on your shoulders. He just met the Lord last week, so he'll just... <laughs> This will be a good learning experience for him. (laughs) So, um, Mike, just kind of put your hand on his, uh, point to where you have the most problems with your shoulder, and he's just going to put his hands right there real quick. And guys, just come into agreement with him, so uh, with me as we pray. Holy Spirit, release your healing power over his tendons right now and over his muscles in the name of Jesus. That's that you would strengthen your son. Pull the tendons back to alignment. I command this inflammation pain to reduce and to be gone. That's that you'd pull the muscles back into position. I command the shoulder to come back into alignment and to open up right now in the name of Jesus. Now strengthen and bless your son in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so do you want to move your arm around? Let's see how it's doing real quick. Okay, so we'll have to wait. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for letting us pray for you. All right, so the last one is this. Um, someone's dealing with a constant cough. Um, it's not you're coughing all the time, but you just have this weak cough, and it feels like you can't shake it. And the Lord was actually showing me um, it was some, like, inflammation at a certain point in the middle of your lungs. So if you have this constant cough that you cannot shake, please stand. Oh, okay. Okay, 
That's fine. Okay, that's fine. I, I like those. All right, so just put your hands out. Receive from the Lord. Holy Spirit, come right now. Release your power and your presence into their lungs. Now, Lord, I know that you have the breath of life breathe into their lungs right now. Shake up their bronchial tubes. Just come and restore this part of their body right now in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. Thank you, Lord. I bless your name. I bless your name. Now strengthen them. Let the let the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set them free from this. Just release your life into their mortal body. And we bless you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So I don't, I don't know why this is, but the Lord kept, I saw the Lord keep drawing around you. Could you share your name? Yeah, what's your name? Linda, do you mind standing? Can I pray a blessing over you? Okay. Holy Spirit, would you come release your power and your presence over Linda? I feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you that, um, do you have children? Do you have a daughter? Okay. He just told me to tell you that you're a, a faithful mother and that he is pleased with who you are and how you've been in healthy relationship and how you've always been there. And the things that people do not see, God sees. And he's going to be faithful to you and to your children. And so can we just pray that over your life? So, Father, would you right now just release your goodness over your daughter, over her children. Strengthen them, protect them, and let your goodness rest upon her. And I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you that you are faithful and that you have made her to be faithful. And we just command the Father's blessing on her. Right now, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, thank you. All right, please join me. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. Uh, Marcus, are you coming up, or do I just? Oh, wow. You... Wow, thank you. That's awesome. I... Most people never let me finish services, so I really appreciate that. Thank you. Please uh, receive the blessing of the Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Just come. As we talk about you, I ask that your glory would come upon us now. The joy of the Lord would be our strength. I ask that reservoirs that they've never experienced of your goodness would be opened up to them. And I command the Father's blessing on you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you shalom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, guys. It's been a blessing. We're done.